Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Reflections Podcast for First Baptist Church of Washington, Michigan. We're glad that you've taken some time to listen to our conversation. And as always, we want to start off by reminding you that our conversation is meant to be listened to in the context of Pastor Phil's lesson from this morning. So this morning, he taught on James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, a living faith and prayer. Uh, So if you have not watched Pastor Phil's lesson from today, uh, please stop listening to us, go listen to him, and then come back to us, and you'll get much more benefit out of what we have to say uh, following taking part of Pastor Phil's lesson. Uh, this week, I am joined uh, joined by David Payton. So, David, how are you today? Good, brother. We um, miss Kevin, but he's up north having uh, having some R&R with his family, huh? Yeah, much, much deserved R&R. He's been a busy guy this summer. He's been working hard. So, we'll... We'll, uh, we'll get right to it. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And David, you're going to read the whole thing for us today, so take it away. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. A really stirring passage on the power of prayer and on the necessity of prayer. Uh, So, as always, David, um, any broad thoughts from uh, this morning's lesson? Any big ideas that stuck out to you? Well, I I think one of the things that has... um, is always a a helpful reminder, and I think is the purpose of much of the Old Testament, um, is the reminder of Elijah, and specifically with two two things about him. Um, he's referenced as a righteous person um, in verse the end of verse sixteen. Um, but then he's also referenced as, and everyone knows he's the prophet, he's been called by the Lord. Um, but then it says, beginning of verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours. Hmm. Um, that's comforting to know that the great prophet who prayed and brought about a drought across the Middle East for three years, um, he, he was a man just like us. Mm-hmm. So, so that that as a just a general principle is is encouraging, um, and and that if you think of Elijah as being one of the the men and as part of the men and women of the hall of faith um, of Hebrews eleven, it's the same principle. Um, so let's take courage from from the the narratives of the Old Testament, as they remind us that we are part of a, a long line of godly men and women who were just fallen and frail like us, and yet who had a great God, um, the same God and Father, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is our Father and God as well. 
Yeah, I love I love that that phrase that you brought up. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's that's such an encouraging encouraging thought. Um, the thing that stuck out to me, I think, the most was actually from the very beginning. Um, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And if we're honest, you know that that's kind of, that's kind of like the the extremes of our lives. Most often, we're kind of somewhere in the middle, um, where we're not really suffering, but we're not really like hardcore cheerful. And I know that Pastor Phil brought up the point that cheer includes those times in suffering when we're being steadfast and we're not we're not failing in suffering. Um, but on both extremes of life and everywhere in between, the way we respond to life ought to be God-focused. Uh, so when bad things happen, our response should be to pray. Why? Because those bad things come from God and God is still in charge of those bad things. And so we take our burden to him. And when the good things come, we give praise to God because those good things come from God and we should recognize that. And, you know, it's interesting that looking back at James 1, those those ideas about pure religion that's undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. And even thinking here about that idea of being worldly and how worldliness is more of a mindset than a list of do's and don'ts. Um, you know, I think one of the worldly things that we do is when we suffer, we worry. And when good things happen, we just kind of breeze through them without pausing to give praise. Um, we're, we're not focused on God in the extremes or even in the in-between times of life. We tend to be very our responses tend to be very me focused and very concerned with the things of this earth rather than the, the life yet to come and the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that God would focus is also something that James even brings out in the verses that come just before what we've just read verses seven through to um, 11 and 12, even um, where he refers to the judge standing at the door. Um, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Um, verse seven, until the, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So there's this, um, as John Piper constantly refers to the, this faith in future grace, there's future grace that's coming um, that one day we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Um, because Christ has made us faithful in the first place, but we await that final judgment where based on our obedience now and our enduring through suffering and our um, rejoicing in our cheerfulness, giving praise to God, then there's a, there's a constant sense of doing our duty in the midst of life with an eye to the end when the coming of the Lord is at hand. Um, so, you know, whenever we read a passage in scripture like this, it's always important to take it in its context. And those verses that just come before are very important because they give us an idea. Um, let's not forget that when we're praying, we're praying in the context of, of a, a world that's coming to an end and a final judgment that's, that's coming. Um, and so, so those are important reflections as well. And I think those are, those are helpful if, if for no other reason than the fact that uh, this passage tends to get 
claimed by the prosperity gospel. Uh, if you want to talk about a, a false teaching that is so focused on the things of this world without any view of what's coming in eternity, <laughs> the prosperity gospel certainly, at least in my mind, fits that bill. Um, and so I was, I was wondering, um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, David. Um, my understanding is that the prosperity gospel has taken a particular, particularly deep root in Africa. At least that's my understanding in talking to some missionaries from Africa that a lot of African Christians are getting snared in yeah. uh, in this prosperity gospel. Is that is that consistent with your experiences having come from there? Um, have you had interactions yeah. with the prosperity gospel? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's um, it's like a cancer across Africa. They estimate that there's about 500 million Africans that are in some way or other wrapped up in the prosperity gospel. Mm. Um, I mean, if you consider that just in terms of the whole population of Africa, I mean, that's a very sizable chunk of the whole population of Africa. Um, and, and a lot of it is, is fed by Nigeria. So Nigeria is, um, is a hotbed for like prosperity preachers. There's some very famous ones up there that have made absolute millions and millions from, from, um, yeah, just appealing to the poverty of the poor, the suffering of the poor. Um, and it's this name it and claim it nonsense, like, you know, pray, but more than that, give to the church and then the elders will come and, and they, they call themselves bishops and apostles and all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even, they're not even as, as low key as, as like a Joel Osteen. You know, it'll be like Apostle um, Chris. Uh, uh, what's it? Um, Pastor Chris is the one guy. He's about as big as. Um, uh, he's probably like the TD Jakes of Africa, hmm. and yeah, it's really sad to see that. But interestingly, there's there's a growing dissatisfaction among the African people with the prosperity gospel. I think just by sheer um, experience the 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 falsehood the the false promises the emptiness um, it's left many people disillusioned sadly which then does lead to people reverting to the vacuum like uh, instead of being left in a vacuum they get sucked into um, Islam because mm-hmm. Islam is mm-hmm. is uh, marching pretty heavily into Africa from the north down mm-hmm. um, so so yeah, we we were very grateful to have been in a church that that was clear on this matter, um, and we we um, worked closely with African pastors who were were ministering faithfully in their communities, um, and we saw many many um, young black guys come out of the prosperity gospel movement. Um, actually, mainly because of the internet, they found good quality mm-hmm. preaching online. And then landed up coming to churches that we knew and, um, and they've become a fervent community of, of young men that, um, actually now have banded together. Um, it's like a multi-church mission, um, under the authority of multiple local churches in South Africa, um, called, uh, Harvest Missions. And they actually support, uh, solid, faithful Bible preaching um, pastors in in the in the poorer communities, hmm. and um, 
So, you know, and, and the, this, this kind of passage is just such a good antidote to, um, to the prosperity gospel and all of what's going on in Africa. And if, if um, African pastors can simply preach through this verse by verse, I mean, it'll overturn um, the thinking of, of many of these. Um, it's, it's really bondage, sadly. Um, and we can be very grateful for, for the clarity of truth that we have preached at First Baptist and um, that we can have a realistic relationship with suffering as well. I think that's the, that's one thing that is really, I think it's a really important part of the Christian life is to have a good understanding of suffering and how, how God relates, how, how we relate to God in our suffering and how he relates to us in our suffering. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that you use the word realistic um, uh, right there, because I think so often it's, it's easy for us to, to take passages like this and try to bind God to be all about us when, when God's all about God. And, um, you know, it's not to say that God doesn't care about us or to paint God in a light that is wrong on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, either God is all about me or God doesn't care one lick about me. And that neither of those are true. Mm. Um, but it's important that we understand, I think, like you said, realistically that our, our lives are bigger than just this, uh, what, what Paul says, this momentary light affliction uh, that's, yeah. that's here for a little bit and then gone. And then, I mean, we're going to be in eternity with God for forever. And the way we experience eternity is at least in some part going to be reflective of how well we persevered in suffering. And mm-hmm. this prosperity gospel just offers people a quick, easy way out and then doesn't deliver. Um, and it's just so it's frustrating um, as somebody who does try to, you know, as, as believers in the legitimate true gospel, it's so frustrating to see people take that and, and abuse the gospel uh, as prosperity gospel people. I, I really appreciate that pastor Phil named names today. um, Because I think, I think some of those people, those are kind of the big names. A lot of the guys that frankly, pastor Phil named today are, are like your big name people that you're used to hearing and when you hear prosperity gospel, we kind of immediately think of Joel Osteen and we're kind of conditioned to think that. Um, but it would be, it would be interesting to see, I think for a, a lot of American believers to, to see some of the organizations and some of the churches and some of the other pastors who have publicly affirmed what these prosperity gospel preachers do. Um, and that might not be like the worst, you know, the worst internet search is to try to find out, you know, what other places is this prosperity gospel coming up that we might not expect um, because it's, it's seeking to take hold in America as well. And in a lot of ways it has taken hold. Um, maybe not to the extent that it has on the continent of Africa with the the millions and millions and millions of people. But um it is it is here in America, and we need to be on our guard against quasi Christian stuff that is just prosperity gospel nonsense. Yeah, and and the thing is the 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 inner sluggard in all of us um, mm-hmm. loves the message of 
the prosperity gospel. Um, you know, um, it's the it's the man of Luke twelve. Uh, Saul, you have you know you've worked hard, you've you've stored up in barns. Now eat, drink, and be merry. You know, it's like, it's uh, it's there's there's there was this term I, I forget who coined it, but it, it's it's very helpful. Um, you know, eschatology is the study of the end times. We know that ultimately God is going to bring ease and luxury and rest to his people um, in the, in the final, uh, after the final judgment, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be glorious. Um, But we're going to have sinless souls um, inhabiting deathless bodies. And it's only when we have sinless souls in deathless bodies that we won't abuse the luxuries Mm. of the new heavens and the new earth. Mm. Um, And, and one, I forget who coined it, but it's the term an over-realized eschatology. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have a, an understanding of the end times that you over-realize now. So yes, the joy and the relief is coming, but not right now. <laughs> right now is the time to suffer um, and the time to endure as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You know, that's even the wording that Paul uses with Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, Timothy endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's, I think it's an important thing to, to, to bear in mind as believers is that, is that as, as hard as it is to say this and to accept it. I mean, I know the battle in my own life is, is to, is to actually accept that there's going to be suffering and, and accepting that suffering mentally and emotionally is actually the first step in in just part of part of god's ordained means of of handling it um and the way to accept it is first of all to know the scriptures and to know that you know nothing nothing that happens to us is uh, outside of his uh, out of outside of his command and control his fatherly providence um and also the servant is not above his master if Jesus suffered, well, we're going to suffer as well. Um, and we must, we must learn to, uh, there's an Afrikaans saying from South Africa that says, Pak di bull by di hoorings, which means take the bull by the horns. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, face your fears, face your suffering and uh, play the man, as Paul says in one, in, at the end of, what is it, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's, th- those are some, I think, good principles that, you know, like even back to James 5, uh, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Not, not let him rebuke the suffering so that it leaves mm-hmm. his body, um, but instead let him pray. That doesn't mean that it's going to go away, but maybe the Lord will give extraordinary strength of mind and spirit. Uh, in that suffering, and I wanted to raise something else as well that I thought was noteworthy in the context of this was I went and read the uh, account of elijah that 's referenced there in verse seventeen mm-hmm. um, and that account is actually from one kings chapter seventeen all the way through to the end of one kings eighteen and it 's worth a read because there 's a lot of context to that that I thought was, was noteworthy. And the one thing that really 
was striking was that he so he prays and there's a drought that comes on the land but then then it's not like he's in a little uh prosperity bubble mm-hmm. he's actually right. affected he's affected by this drought like he doesn't have any food so the lord has to send him ravens but now why did why did he pray about this it was because elijah was god's mouthpiece to ahab who was gravely sinning against the lord and he prayed that the lord would stop the heavens and rain wouldn't come specifically as a punishment to to ahab um and and so so he had an eye to the glory of god he prayed about it and in praying about it and actually acting on what was something that would glorify god he landed up suffering himself Mm. for for that um, and then the, the famous stories of the widow of Zarephath and the cruise of oil and um, the even the widow's son that dies. I mean, like all of that is is suffering that was brought about probably largely by this uh, this drought. And mm. um, it's helpful to realize that that's the context. And his prayer actually brought that about in in a, to a certain extent. So. Mm-hmm. yeah i thought i thought that was a, a it was a helpful exercise going and reading that passage so i'd recommend our listeners do that as well and and what's incredible is if you keep going through that this drought actually incites that that kind of famous interaction between ahab and um elijah between the prophets of baal and elijah on mount carmel and mm-hmm. Elijah draws that line in the sand and he's like, all right, Israel, we got to pick who's actually God. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? And this, uh, this drought has been a particular attack on Baal because Baal was a fertility God. Uh, Baal was a God who was believed by the Canaanites and um, other people groups in the area. Uh, he, he was believed to be the one who brought the rain. And so when Elijah prays to God and says, you know, please no rain. And there's no rain for three years and six months. And then Elijah comes on Mount Carmel and he says, all right, we're going to prove once and for all who, who is God, Yahweh or Baal. And the prophets of Baal can't get Baal to answer them. Elijah prays this little short prayer and God rains fire from heaven. And then as they're all going back down the mountain, a rainstorm comes and God sends rain on the earth. All that suffering that Elijah went through, all of that prayer, all of that suffering that Elijah went through resulted in tangible proof that Yahweh is God alone, not this Baal, not this idol that you're worshiping. It is God. And so even, you know, along that theme of looking at Elijah and seeing truths about our own suffering, Elijah's suffering brought about incredible glory for God. And it's amazing, you know, we, we think about our own sufferings and what, what ways could our suffering be used to bring glory to God? And uh, we've mentioned it before, but there, there are examples in our church of people who have suffered well for, for many years um, and are really giving us powerful demonstrations of how to have God's glory in mind as they experience suffering on this earth now. Um, as we're, we're kind of coming towards a close we're not quite ready to close yet 
Um, I kind of wanted to shift gears and ask a little bit of a question about uh, something that was in a little bit later in the text, kind of, I guess, more maybe in the middle of the text. Um, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And Pastor Phil encouraged us that believers pray, believers confess sin, and believers trust God. So I was wondering, David, if you had any thoughts on the idea of confession, particularly as it relates to confessing our faults to one another. Uh, because I guess we don't want to necessarily air out dirty laundry in front of everybody. That may not be particularly helpful. Uh, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts regarding that concept of confessing our faults to one another. Well, as I was studying this passage as well, one of the things that that came up, which I thought was a noteworthy comment um, in the study Bible that I was reading, was that was that it's a mistake for us to to think, and I believe Pastor Phil also mentioned this as well, is that it's a mistake to think that um, just because Job's counselors were wrong about suffering and sin in his life, that his suffering wasn't as a result, it wasn't brought into his life as a direct consequence for a specific sin that he'd committed. Um, nevertheless, that does still happen. The Lord does punish believers for specific sins. He's like a good, he's like a good father um, who will chastise for specific sin. So, so I think that that's just at a, at a front level, um, one thing to note, and I think can be helpful. And that's tricky to handle because if there's someone in the church who, like if, you, if we take the context of this passage particularly, it would seem that the person that's sick, who's gravely sick, could, could very well be sick because of committing sin. Um, and then there needs to be an awareness that on the part, at least on the part of the person that's sinned, hey, you know, my sin has actually probably contributed to this and I need to, I need to bring it up. So I, I would, if we're just looking at it in terms of the context of, of this passage itself, um, yeah, I would say that it probably would need to be done cautiously and sparingly, um, not just airing, you know, you know, I, I cheated on my wife 17 years ago. Um, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not sure how productive and constructive those kind of things would be, but when there's a direct, um, direct link between, at least in the uh, recall, I think it was uh, Spurgeon who said as well that when a believer suffers and they know that their sin has caused it, often the conscience will tell them that quite clearly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those are some initial thoughts. What, you, what about you, Kyle? Um, I think the, the thing that jumped out to me was uh, the idea that we need to be willing to confess our faults to one another um, and just even thinking you know, it's, it's difficult to be honest about sin when I don't trust somebody. Um, it's difficult for me to, to go to somebody and, and maybe not even confess a way that I've sinned against them, but to say, you know, maybe I, I, I go to, I go to you, David, and I say, Hey, David, um, I'm really struggling this week with being very angry and I've lost my temper 
you know, three days out of the last five, um, I'm really in a battle right now. I could really use some prayer. Um, if I don't trust you, that's a very difficult conversation to have. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the big thing for me was I want to be the kind of person that is trustworthy enough to where someone could come to me and say, hey, Kyle, I've really been struggling with this, this particular sin, and I need, I need prayer. I need help. And then I get to pray with them. I get to be a part of their edification, their, their building up, their growth in Christ. I get to be a part of that. But the way that I handle that, I, I, I can't be airing that out for everyone else. You know, I can't call the, the church prayer line <laughs> and be like, um, you know, you need to pray for so-and-so because so-and-so has been getting angry this week. And you know what they did? They did this and this and this, and they said this and this to this person. So we really need to pray for them. Uh, that's just really not helpful and, and not, a, not a good way to handle uh, people trusting me enough to come to me and confess sins and get help and seek accountability in these areas. I need to be that kind of person who can, who can hear the confession of other, other people and handle it well. Um, even when I would say that sin is like perhaps even a little shocking. Um, it doesn't yeah. really help anyone when, we're, when we hear someone sin and we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that. Is that really what you did? You know, that, that's not really uh-huh. helpful at all. Yeah, 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 and I think that's where we need to come to each other, and and there needs to be an awareness that on the part of the person that's receiving um, the confession is mm-hmm. for that to be received humbly, with mm-hmm. an acknowledgement on on his or her part that if it were not for the grace of God. I could easily have done just the same and worse. Um, and that is true. I mean, the, I recall one uh, pastor saying that he would have church members come to him and say, like starting off the confession saying, pastor, I, I don't think you're going to believe what I'm going to tell you. Like I, I've done something so bad that it's just unbelievable. And the pastor's like, try me. I know my own heart. And, <laughs> and I, I know that there's, there's nothing that you can say that will surprise me. Um, and, and that's who we need to be actually. Sadly, we need to know our own hearts well enough. And I think that's a lesson that I take from this is to, is to pray for the humility that people around can feel the confidence to come to me because I'm not perfect. I mean, that's uh, that's clear as day to my own wife and kids, um, and we need to we need to have that transparency and that honesty, so that we are approachable, and uh, our brothers and sisters can um, share their burdens. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, as we uh, as we wrap up today, any final thoughts from you, David? Let's go and do likewise. amen let's be doers doers of the word Uh, we appreciate that you all have taken the time to listen to our conversation today and uh, we want to remind you to check out our church's website uh, for more uh, teaching materials that are going to be coming out whether that's uh, more podcast episodes more devotionals on our blog from pastor david um, or even more sermons from pastor phil Uh, so be sure to check out our website 
that is fbcwm.org. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another episode.